Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the Graphic Novels Review Editor for Publishers Weekly and the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. Okay, this week on More to Come, Fall Graphic Novels. Marvel Legacy arrives in the fall. How uh, it taken? The new Death Note Netflix adaptation, Con News, uh, and uh, another installment of our Comic of the Week. This is Huzuki's Cool-Headedness, uh, a manga by Natsumi Iguchi coming out from Kodansha. So, fall graphic novels from our graphic novel well, we aggregator. Well, we do this twice a year. We do fall announcements. We do spring announcements. And uh, the fall announcements is out. And um, we list 50 books that we think are notable and pick the top 10. And uh, so, you know, we did it again. It's always really interesting <laughs> to see what's happening. Sometimes books get held over, but uh, come into... I mean, I think two of the... Uh, a lot of memoir this season, yes. I'd mm-hmm. say. An awful lot of memoir from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Raj Chast has an interesting book that's kind of it's more of like Guide to New York mixed in with a little. Yes. I, I kind of would like to see her do another full fledged kind of like humor book. Yeah. Um, this but, is, yeah, that, it's that sort of a tongue in the cheek, yeah. tongue in cheek guide. Um, but it's Ross Chess, so, you know, there, yeah. there's a, there's a, more than a few chuckles in it. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, Julia Wirtz collecting her yes. view of New York uh, in a really fabulous book. That yeah. That's a lot of her, her comics that she did for various magazines. Um, we have. Uh, the uh, Light of the My Shadow, the uh, memoir yes. of a young woman who fights the anorexia, mm-hmm. uh, Chandra, the uh, what's well, not really, it, it's sort of semi-fictionalized, but I guess it yeah, is really a memoir. It, it, yeah, it really is. It really, um, the, the author who was on my panel actually yes. talked about how really her life, um, their, their life. life, excuse me, their life really had, uh, you know, really infiltrates, really drives the, the novel. Yeah. Um, uh, the Poppies of, Ira- of Iraq uh, looks very interesting as well. The book with um, uh, what Bridget Fendek, uh Bridget Fendekli and Louis you. Trondheim, uh, which is a <laughs> memoir of her childhood in Iraq. Yet thank another you. Memoir. Um, let's see, what else do we have? We also have Varax, the true story oh, yes. of whistleblowers, drone yeah. warfare, and mass surveillance. Yeah, uh, that that's a really interesting book. Uh, really serious journalism, uh, and I think it has some really original reporting in it about the nature of why we're seeing so much collateral damage as part of the drone warfare. Interesting. So, interesting. Uh, yes. well, that's another uh, eagler awaited. Uh, and then we do have some fiction. Uh, we have, well, fiction, say, from least to most, we have uh, Sex Fantasy by Sophia Foster Domino, uh, mm. which has been published online, won a bunch of Ignatz Awards, really an awesome collection. Cool. Uh, that Sophie Goldstein's House of Women, another book that's been serialized for quite a while. Uh, I love her books. Uh, you know, I love The Oven, and this is this is more of her kind of really uh, contemplative science fiction. And uh, fi- then there is Satania by Fabian Veldman and Karasket, mm-hmm. uh, the team behind Beautiful Darkness, yes. which we loved so much a few years ago. 
Uh, and then finally, there's a, a you know, if, you, if there's a Chris Ware book comes out, I guess you got to put it on the yes, list. Absolutely. So he has monograph <laughs> coming out. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I guess it's just like a sketchbook of his oh, yeah. or something. Well, but, I, um, obviously, it was Rizzoli doing it. Yeah. So it's exactly. beautiful. Yes, it is. Well, I saw some pages that Chip Kidd was showing mm. off because I guess he's designing it. So, um, you know, if you like Chris Ware, you'll certainly like this book. Yeah. Well, you know, these aren't in your top tips, but there's there's two books that I'm actually also interested in that's coming in the fall and that's IDW's collection of uh, Mr. A. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Of a. I'm yeah. really look, uh, anxious to see that. And also, uh, this is another uh, memoir book, uh, The Hunting Accident. Oh, yes, from that, for a second. Yes, which is, look, uh, David Carlson and Landis Blair, I mean, really looks beautiful. I've yeah. seen some excerpts from yeah, it. Yeah, it, it looks, looks great, amazing. yeah. Yeah, I was almost, the book, almost, that was on the top 11. Ah. Uh, but I didn't have the, uh, you know, some people were asking, and, uh, you know, I, I I prefer to see a galley yeah. put it on the top 10. So, when uh, I hadn't seen a galley of the hunting accent, so perhaps fell behind some of the other ones, but... Um, yeah. Well, I have to say that here's where, I guess, by some standards, I am a bad comic book fan. I don't care. About a galley? About any of these books. Okay. All right. I mean, well, I'm sure they're fine. That's your prerogative. I, I know. I'm just saying it's just interesting. It just made me realize the, how... Not a one? Not even? Raised a, 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 you know, a... That's well, I mean, they sound fine. I just don't feel any urge to read them. Uh -huh. Are you interested in mainstream fiction at all? Yes. Mm-hmm. But it depends. I mean, like I, I require like I, I love historical fiction. I like comedy of manners kind of things. Mm. You know, things with like a maybe a light touch, a bit of humor to them. Like you know, I, I just I don't like. Specifically, I'm picky when it comes to literary fiction, right. mm. and um. You know, I I guess a book really has to knock my socks off for me to. Well, if I were to pick a book Read from, outside my... from the top ten for you, Kate, <laughs> I would pick uh, House of Women by Sophie Goldstein. Uh, did you read the oven no. by her? Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think yeah. you do like... I mean, you I like, love science fiction. Yes. I think that would be the book that I will. I would recommend to you, and uh, maybe I can find a copy for you, and we'll, we'll yeah, see if it, if, it, if it strikes your fancy or not. So I, I, think, you would, I think you would like her work. It's, it's science fiction, but it's more on the kind of Margaret Atwood... Ursula K. Le Guin kind of mode. I mean, I don't know. Does that stuff appeal to you, or it, it's very worthy? Yes. Like I, 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 if I'm in the right mood, I'll read <laughs> it, it and like be interested. Spinach. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I love spinach. It's good for you. <laughs> I like spinach a great deal more than I like Margaret Atwood. <laughs> okay, well that's fine. Uh, yeah. But not that I don't like our Margaret Atwood. I just really like spinach. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it just made me realize um how many different perspectives on comics yeah. there are and Absolutely. how even though here we are our own little table discussion where frequently we agree it seems on most things right uh when it comes to comics i'm like you guys are like this is, this is the best books coming this fall and i'm like I guess well, they're worthy. There you go. Well, yeah. th we were all the time well, to get you know, excited about I picked the stuff two books from DC Comics. I, I picked that out of all their lists. I picked uh, Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, and uh, The Wildstorm Volume 1. So, um... <laughs> I wish yeah. you guys could see Kate's <laughs> face not, right now. I, I think we're, that's, we're still that's like, that's trying like, to... That's, like, completely on the other <laughs> direction. It's, like, the sweet spot of things that are actually, like, something I'd enjoy reading are in between, um... Okay. But, well, let but, me see. See if we can find somebody something Kate is excited about. Let's see what Viz has. Uh, Children of the Whales, Volume One. 
I know. In an endless about. sea of sand drifts, the mud whale, a floating island city of clay and magic, <laughs> but the steady pace of isolated existence abruptly shattered when a scouting party discovers a mysterious young now, that girl sounds interesting. who seems to know more about their home than they do. There you go. It's that. by uh, uh, Abi Yumeda. Uh, the other book I had from Viz was Sweet Blue Flowers by Takako Shimura. In a genre defining saga of love and friendship between girls, Akira Oda. Okadara starts high school and rekindles her friendship with childhood pal Fumi. But life has grown a lot more complicated since they were kids. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard about that one for years. Um, it, that was pointed out in the... It was highlighted by Deb in her uh, mm-hmm, yeah. her manga feature also. So. Wait, let's talk about a book that uh, didn't make the top 50, which is um, Marvel's Generations... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? Maybe that didn't make the list. Did I, I oh, please one, God that it didn't. Well, I, I had to put one Marvel book on there. It's pretty hard to find one. So, uh, <laughs> oh, man. You know, what did I put on there for Marvel? No, I, I, We're I, never going to get on Ike's um, comp list yeah, at this I know, rate. really. What did I have for Marvel? <laughs> Oh, uh, you know what? You know this. what? I didn't put any books from Marvel on here because they they didn't send me anything, didn't and I didn't you. feel well, like that's... going through their whole catalog yeah. and picking out a book. So I didn't. So yeah, they they rarely send us anything. Yes, yeah. They don't. No. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but anyway, but it is coming. Legacy is coming this yeah. fall. Yes. Uh, they've announced the fifty three titles. Yeah. Uh, then they've started to announce some of the creative team. Like they've announced. Um, uh, four books. Uh, Falcon will be by Rodney Barnes and John Cassara. The Incredible Hulk's Return to Planet Hulk by Greg Pak and Greg Land, uh, oh. the team on the original mm-hmm. Planet Hulk, which is, of course, a very popular storyline yep. of the past. X-Men Gold by Mark Guggenheim and Mike Mayhew. And X-Men Blue by Colin Bunn and Jorge Molina. So, as you can see, these are genre-smashing, uh, industry-shaking new books that everyone will be talking about. So And mysteriously... <laughs> Something is up with Marvel Legacy. I don't know what it is, but they announced the 53 titles on a Friday at, with the last of them rolling out at like 6 o'clock on a Friday. And then they announced like the whole list of books uh, last Friday, which was the getaway day for a four-day holiday. And today... It doesn't scream we have vast confidence in no. our work. And there's been a lot of rumors going around about it uh, that writers have been asked not to promote their books at this time and to talk about it. So, uh-huh. I mean, they Why? just rolled out four books today. Yeah. So Do they have some coordinated media, you know, attack that they've got planned for the fall? No. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's yeah. a Maybe lot they of, have something planned for San Diego Comic Con. There's, I'm suspect. sure they, they will. Would have to there have is something. also some theories that this is a not. This is not Marvel's new Fifty Two. It's some sort of thing before the thing, and that what? next year there'll be a, a thing that'll <laughs> be the real thing. What? That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> so uh, what? This is a stopgap until their version yes, of New Fifty Two. It's a stopgap relaunch, but not a reboot. Oh, but but they're planning. You know, a I'm about to this run across the room this and leap out the window. Not, uh, no, <laughs> this is like it's not filling me with. I mean, like I am somebody <laughs> who has been going ever since this well, stupid what, Hydra Cap thing has been going. When will this be over so I can buy Marvel comics again? <laughs> like there will be so there will be ones I want well, to read. I'm, when yeah. is this over so there will be Marvel comics I want to read? And now, like, so I'm somebody who was like primed. I was like, okay, good. This whole stupid Hydra storyline is going to be over, and then I can 
What? <laughs> I can I can look at the books. Maybe there'll be some well, I want to read. Maybe there'll be a good jumping Maybe on Maybe there point. will be a book I want to read. And so, like, I was primed. I'm like, I'm well. the target in one of the target audiences for this. Um, and, uh, like, even though they're not really telling us anything, the way they're not telling us anything is not giving me a good feeling. Well, the... the- Press releases have been epic. I mean, oh, but the there press releases been, are like, there, but there is just like can Stan Lee from fifty yeah, years they, ago. They, yeah, they had like brought back up. They had one zombie Stan. Where zombie yes. Stan Lee says, yeah. "I will love, I will love, uh, I will love Marvel Legacy." Uh, yes, know, because I, the fans he signed off on it, it. Apparently, yes. Uh, <laughs> Where's the? I like, like I. Uh, well, I was demanded it. I'm ex- ab- actually not the target audience in any way, but I have also uh, just realized over the last year or two that I still care about this stuff, even if I don't read that much of it, as, or or maybe should read well, more of it. We just ran a bunch of sales analysis, and uh, let me tell you, there is. Uh, I was just looking. You know, we do month to month sales charts on the beat. Um, where uh, our writer Xavier Lassalle, a charming French gentleman, uh, who writes in a with a French accent, which is amazing. But anyway, he goes through and he looks at the comparative sales for each month, and uh, then Todd Allen did a sales band report, and Marvel's numbers are ghastly. I mean, they have so few titles that are selling over fifty thousand copies, which is kind of considered a healthy number. It's also a pathetically low number, by the way. Um, let's see here. Uh, love. Let's see. There's, there's basically, they have most of their titles, like the vast majority of their titles, are selling between ten and nineteen thousand copies in initial sales. That's and that's, that's really bad. That's the level that usually would be considered cancellation level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, back in the day, <laughs> that would have, and, and not that many days away. I mean, like a couple years ago. Right. 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 Yeah. Well. So Marvel has real problems. You know, I, I, I know a lot of times I'm like saying, uh, oh, you guys, we should talk about Marvel. We should talk about Marvel. And then, you know, I mean, oh, Kate is waiting to get back on. And, you know, Marvel, uh, Kevin doesn't necessarily read them. But, you know, this is the thing. I've heard from several people that Marvel is woes are really concerning to a lot of people in the industry. Uh, well, yeah. There well, is, I mean, this is something that, for instance, at DC, they sit around and talk about a lot. They yeah. are very worried about what's going on at Marvel because if Marvel does, you know, remain, uh, you know, below the Mendoza line, I mean, we got some real issues for, for a lot of retailers. Right. Isn't, I mean, I think I learned on the beat that what Star Wars is actually their best selling comic, yeah, which yeah. I, I really, you know, sort of don't even really well, I mean, consider I, Marvel. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, like, I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm not reading Marvel right now except Squirrel Girl, and people, if anybody actually paid any attention to what books I'm reading, they'd be like, but what about those Star Wars comics you're reading? And I'd be like, oh, that counts, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Disney is not going to let them, you know, make uh, Luke Skywalker evil in a comic instead of them in a movie. So... You know, because they they want to save all the big punches for themselves. So you know, there's a limit to how much they're going to gut stab you. Um, Luke Skywalker's Hydra, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't need to worry about Luke Skywalker being Hydra, and I'll I count my blessing. Yeah, yeah. I always exactly. do it. Although don't some get... people think that Snoke is an actual holographic puppet operated by Luke. You heard it here first. Yes. Well, there's a lot of uh, Snoke ideas, but yeah. uh, you know, maybe you he's have Jar Jar. Heard, you have heard these ideas here first, yeah. and you know, Marvel, please let them lie. Let them lie. So, so I don't know. You know, I there's nothing that makes sense about any of this. This is like a company 
whose sales are floundering, they're relaunching their line with the most tired retreads of that exactly the same kind of problems that they still had, and with the most tepid enthusiasm for the marketing campaign I've ever seen. It, it's but like, apparently they're starting to renumbering over. Oh, joy of joys. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I mean, mean, when I, I hear that, I really want to scream. I, I, really, this is sort of the worst of the worst gimmicks. Uh, yeah. That has nothing to do with storytelling. Yeah. They renumbered Squirrel Girl twice in one year. So I don't know either. It's uh, um, strange. Well, I've heard some other rumors that uh, there's definitely, uh, but these are like Snoke being a hologram sort of stuff like you know there's some kind of big power struggle going on at marvel which has to be happening i just don't know who it is i don't know who the yeah. players are what's going on so anyway listeners well, if well, you do know just email me at comicsbeat at gmail.com <laughs> so right. but I, I you know I, listen here's the players the players are david gabriel their yeah. marketing and sales uh, vp executive vp axel alonso the editor-in-chief yes. tom mm. brevoard the executive editor uh and then some you know realignment of those three forces like who will win who will die i don't know i don't know which side <laughs> maybe that should on. be a comic yeah, i think people exactly. would buy that <laughs> yeah well i i get oh so um his name escapes me mr uh you can't leave paper on the full Perlmutter. 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 We're never going to get a comic. We can't remember his name. Uh, we don't like his comics <laughs> okay, okay. so okay. so so Perlmutter uh, is is not uh, putting a hand in at Marvel anymore. Unknown. Unknown. Huh? So he might be part of this too. Unknown. Um, but yeah, I have to say, even just from a marketing perspective, like if you're going to market something without saying anything about it, which by the way is stupid. I'm hey, dropping it not? on a Friday, a holiday Friday at five o'clock. <laughs> let me point that out again. Yeah. A holiday yeah. Friday at five o'clock. Okay. Yeah. This is like... How like, not to market a product. Literally... Like it tells you nothing, and if it's a product that you already want to like, I was there, like being like, "Yes, I want to like that product. Tell me why I should like this product." Instead, it just gives me a, "It will be amazing. It will change everything. It will." And I'm like, "You tell me nothing." And this is the more you put superlatives on like a nothing burger, the more I think this is going to be crappy. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that some of these books are not yeah. crappy. But good lord, their marketing team is not putting in any effort either. That or they're wildly incompetent. Well, I I am curious to see how they converge these two streams of content. You know, I mean, in that sense, what I'll two streams? Be, well, the the old characters and the new characters. Right. You know, they're, oh they're, well, you know. I mean, the old characters never went away. I mean, yeah, they're I mean, still they never there, really so went it's away. not even like but, a but, you know. I mean, but, but, I'm not. It's like oh, they're gonna meet, they're gonna fight, and then they're gonna be friends. Well, I mean, yeah, you know. I mean, I know that's what's gonna happen, but <laughs> hope you know it, the, the the proof is in the doing. I yeah. mean, so, but uh, but yeah, look, I mean, this is you know. Um, I mean, in an unfair comparison, if I may, please, a completely unfair comparison. Go um, for it. We're gonna publish a story next week uh, by Bridget Alverson uh, about uh, Svetlana Kimakova, sure, who um, uh, has been grown into a major graphic novel author. Awkward, her new series uh, sold two hundred fifty thousand copies, uh, and her new book, which was published in May, Brave. Uh, had initial printing of 150,000 copies. So we're doing a piece that's really about how um, Yen Press groomed her over the course of 15 years, uh, really 10 years uh, at, at Yen like Press. It's like a mole. 
um, <laughs> uh, and turning into probably their major original artist. Yeah, and, and they really—I mean, they are—they're—they're they're really trotting her out as the right. next Raina. Uh, right. That would be Telgemeier. Right, right. So, so, so this is what's going so, on in the so book trade. So this is in, in YA? In YA, novels. yes. Yeah. But I mean, that's all we've been talking about in the last few podcasts is how, you know, the graphic novel audience is really taking over. And we're seeing the twilight of the pamphlet. The pamphlet is being t- uh, twilighted. I mean, you know, well, it's... But I think also there's it's sunsetted, a, sunsetted. Yes, parking. yes, it's yes. But I also think there's a phenomenon. It's in the gloaming. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a phenomenon going on that's similar to uh, what the global manga market saw a few years ago, where part of it was that the material that was promoted as a big book was just not hitting with people. That like it, part of it was not so much that the audience had changed; it was that the material coming out at that time was not was not amazing. Was not. You know, like they are taking their audience for granted. And I do sort of wonder if there's some of that going on at Marvel. And, you know, because at the end of the day, it's about the content. Right. That's right. And there's a lot of problems with content at Marvel. Um, uh, that's, I mean, that's the biggest problem overall. If these books were being done with enthusiasm and verve, uh, we wouldn't be having these problems. But they're not. There's just... Uh, I mean, I've been reading a few of them, and and they're labored, you know? Everyone is laboring under this secret empire, like, you know, Hydra uh, onus. But, I I mean, there's just... It doesn't seem like a happy place. Well, this is the conversation we've had uh, for a while now, that the modern superhero platforms need this relentless series of revamps, reboops, restarts, crossover. I mean, everything's got to be a, a crazy... Over, over emphatic event. But I think what we. But maybe it does that's not yeah. working. <laughs> yeah, the conclusion we come to is that it doesn't really need that. They just think they, they just need do that. it <laughs> over right. and over again. Well, this seems to be the battle at the core of what Marvel uh, ongoing publishing plans are. So you know what? Hopefully, at San Diego, yeah. we'll learn more. Yes. Look, we don't, nobody wants Marvel to fail. No, they, absolutely they, not. That's no. not we what want, we're we talking want about. We strong, just want, we want lively, strong, great we want stories. Marvel, you know. And, yes. And, and please, that we can love and talk about and argue about. That's what we want. And please, just stop beating this Hydra dead horse. <laughs> just, just let it die already, man. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, uh, shall we segue to? Um, what is it? The uh, divided states of hysteria. Yeah, yes. Chaken kerfuffle, revenge of the yeah. Chaken. Yes. Well, this took a whole new chapter two. Uh, just yeah. got worse. You know, I've been working on maybe, uh, maybe for my own uh, perverse enjoyment, but uh, putting together kind of some quotes from Chaken when the book was announced, and he said, "If this book doesn't get me arrested, nothing will." So, uh, you know, he was setting out to be provocative, and uh, he succeeded. He definitely succeeded. And, uh, you know, I've known Howard for 30 plus years and by his own admission, he's a pretty big cynic. And if you read Mm. any of his work, it's incredibly cynical. Yeah. And it's hard not to see all of this as just a little bit cynical as well. As uh, what, from a cynical point of view or as a cynical cash grab? Uh, well, definitely from a cynical, uh, listen, you know what, from a cynical point of view, I would not be, uh, I will also say Howard you know, know him well enough. But I mean, of course he wants to get paid and to do money, but I, yeah. I, I mean, he wanted to make money for this, but he didn't, I don't think he set out to, to be as offensive as possible to make money because I think it's, it's absolutely the opposite. You know, I, I mean, I think, 
I mean, I don't understand it. I mean, I, I read the uh, he he at least has issued a full well, you know, let's pull response, let's, but you know, let's fill people in because like, you know, yeah, last time rewind. we talked about no, yeah, let's rewind because the first time we talked about there was a transphobic scene in the first issue of yeah. the book. And that got the usual um, upset and uh, condemnation. And Mar- Image Comics has published the book, yeah. did not back down. Uh, in fact, they just doubled down with the, this kind of statement from Shaken that ran as the text piece in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, what really cracks me up is like the solicitations for all the book shipping in September came out like two weeks ago. And uh, nobody actually looked at the Image solicitations until um, a week ago, Friday. And then somebody happened to notice that the cover of issue four of the book featured uh, a, a dark-skinned man who had been lynched uh, and had blood streaming out of his crotch. So yeah. presumably he'd been mutilated sexually in some way. Yeah. Uh, and then on his uh, name tag was written a uh, racial slur for people of Pakistani uh, descent. That's used mostly in England, to be honest. It's not as common here where they, they have mm. a lot more, but uh, very common and very offensive, and I won't even say it. So when people saw this, they didn't like it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, surprise, I just surprise. Sort of, I, I wonder, but Heidi, you might be able to answer this. I wonder what Shaken is going for here. He clearly has a vision, right. and maybe... You understand this vision. Share it with us. Well, I think he just wanted to be as shocking as possible. I think. And, you know, so then he did an interview. And, Calvin, you read the interview. And I I think he kind of, I I skimmed it. I haven't read as recently as you have, I don't think. So, I mean, his his response was to say that this is what, uh, this is what's going on in the world, and this is why we need to discuss it. Yeah, his yeah his response is what you, I think, what you get very often from people that are doing some sort of politicized, outrageous material. That this is an example of what he is against. Right. Uh, and he also filled in some context about his his past and his fascination with with uh, trans characters or storylines, uh, and he puts it in the context of um the relationships he had with with gay men or or drag queens um early in his career that befriended him he was a part of a group that were working kind of in uh you know in, in production right. doing mechanicals and he talked about this so he, he he talked about that in terms of having some context in his life um but i mean <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't get it either. Uh, it, I, you, you get the sense you okay. I understand the need for any artist to take on the material that they're, dri- they're, they're driven to take on, sure, and absolutely. you accept the consequences. Uh, I don't get this notion that if someone objects to your outrageous material, they're either crazy or demented or. Well, you know, one uh, thing that he also said in there was that uh, he felt like most of the people criticized the book hadn't read it, which is true. Yeah. But he also said he hadn't read any of the criticism because he never reads anything that's written uh, since he was called a. Um, so then, how can he faggot. comment on the criticism? Because uh, you know, well, he because knows there's he's criticism. A, because he's a, <laughs> a, you know, because he's yeah. a hypocrite, I guess. And you know, this is the thing to me that is the bottom line. And uh, I mean, I think. We all understand Howard does not want to see uh, people of color lynched. No, I mean, no. he's not pro-lynching. And the cover wasn't pro-lynching. You know, a lot of people called it racist. And they're like, well, it's not necessarily saying this is great. But, you know, this is the thing. It's like people of color don't need to be told that they might be lynched and mutilated. <laughs> On the cover. I mean, I, you I might, mean, might want to keep that inside the book. But it's not even that. It's also like 
oh, you know, guess what, guys? Here's a message. And it's like, you know what? They don't need the message. They don't need to have this really... And, you know, I, don't... and I said it before. Howard is not... His draftsmanship was never a strong point, and it's certainly not a strong point. It's a really ugly, grotesque cover that's just yeah, badly done. And I also don't get this notion that I'm going to do outrageous material that's going to get people upset, and no. now I'm off that people are, are upset. upset. I mean... You can definitely <laughs> depict outrageous things in the service of a message if, and a story Absolutely. if you're being clear of where you're going with it. For example, I really like Kelly Sue's DeConnick's comic Bitch Planet, which was came about because uh, some people were saying that Captain Marvel was an angry, man-hating feminist comic. And she was like, oh, you haven't begun to see ma angry, man-hating <laughs> feminists. Let's have a science fiction story about a uh, future society which is way too patriarchal where they send all the non-compliant women to a prison planet and of course but then there's you know a big plot and the women will eventually yeah, triumph also, it's yeah. also a women in prison comic you know yeah, but classic it's, exploitation yeah. right themes. but at the same time it's it's very clearly telling well, we, a story but we talked you know we talked so about I'm, bitch planet a couple weeks ago yes i know yeah. and but I'm, I'm using it in comparison yeah, here yeah, yeah yeah very clearly telling but I, a woman positive but story I mean, but, but i'm wondering what message because i haven't read the book what message well, chaken is going i for read here, the first other than i did horror. read the first yeah. issue of it and uh it to me it wasn't compelling to me it was kind of the point of like things are gone and it's like here's the worst possible people who are Guess what? They're going to turn out to be the saviors. It's like, you know, there's the, 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 oh, the dirty dozen. It's the dirty dozen theme. And, you know, it's been done before. It can be done very well. Uh, uh, this certainly, I, you know, I'm not saying this isn't valid, uh, valid material. You know, this is one thing I said on Twitter because I saw people comparing this to Bitch Planet and saying, oh, but, you know, Kelly Sue is edgy. Well, you know, first off, she's fighting against the status quo. Yeah. You know, Howard is coming from the status quo. I mean, I know he likes transvestites and I know mm. he likes this, but, you know, he is coming at it, I'm sorry, from a pace of white male privilege. Yes, of you course know? he is. And so, uh, and, I, and I'm just saying, if he really wanted to discuss these issues that he feels are so important, that's what he'd talk about. Not that I have a right to talk about these issues, because that's the message that's coming across loud and clear. It's, he's making it more about himself yeah, than the issues. Well, so totally it was doesn't. really and about the issues. He talked about that. In the early issue, I, which I, again, I have not read the so I, I don't right. want to come out against the material that I haven't read. But I did read the absurd statement that he put in that issue, which is just a big middle finger to anybody that wants to question him about what he's doing. Yeah. And I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I do give him credit now for at least coming out and saying something coherent. Right. Uh, that you can connect with at the very least about what he's trying to yeah. do. Yeah, and now let me jump in here. One other salient fact uh, is that, so this happened again last Friday. And, you know, poor Marvel Legacy announcements just couldn't hold a candle to divided <laughs> states of hysteria. So Chicken was right about that. Uh, and then... They didn't really say anything. They didn't respond. And, you know, people went nuts on Twitter, of course, as they always do. But this time, I really feel it's very justified. And you know, I feel like the offense merited a very, very passionate response. And uh, so finally on, uh, I think it was Monday, they did release an apology. And they, they apologized for everything. They said, um, you know, I wish that uh, you know, we should have responded quicker. And they, they're they not running the cover. They're putting yes, a different they've, cover. Yeah, they pulled yeah. the cover. Mm -hmm. It will not run. And, uh, you know, they issued a pretty firm mea culpa. Now, this was answered 
with calls by some of the ringleaders of the you you know I was I don't want to say the usual suspects but you're gonna say the usual the, suspects. the usual suspects <laughs> but uh, you know what no not the usual suspects they're, let's say the 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 most um some of the most uh fervent, fervent voices of comics Twitter uh and now it's a boycott of image comics and now eric stevenson has to be fired oh and for pete's because sake. Well, because and i read happen. i read this one piece and it was like it's because of their constant um you know transphobia and their constant stuff but and it's I'm like, not constant but it's not constant no. it's and, not and constant. the whole point of image is that it's much more the creator's vision. There's yes. not some editor telling them what to write. And so each creator is doing their own thing, and some of them might and be... And they're turning out a lot of terrific comics for marginalized people and getting all That's... the... I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, and to me, you know, this is what I don't understand, okay? People, it's like I understand completely the power of social media to call out privilege to call out white male privilege to call you know bad behavior white, from anybody white, yes but bad bad but especially privilege because privilege really goes on mark you know is oblivious to its own privilege so i get that but it's like what what i i also don't get is like you know i see people who are really passionate about comics i i've defended you know comics twitter so many times by saying these people really love comics yeah, and they really want comics to be better but it's like when you go from zero to 90 on this without any steps in between i mean you're you're an anarchist okay and well, but comics fans frequently are anarchists they frequently are anarchists but i'm also just like they, i don't think they quite understand how at some point someday we're gonna have to sit down in the same room with people and break bread you well, know but it's I like th- mark wade and and dan slot will come into the room and nick spencer yeah. and there might have to be everybody put bailing water from the boat together <laughs> you know right. but i mean it's like how do we i mean you know to and me particularly the, the the overreaction to, to people that probably believe 90 percent of what I, you believe i know and it's like <laughs> so, we have sat here every time and i'm like just how much worse can it get and it just gets worse and worse and worse you know it's like like the amount of outrage that went, uh, like there was an article, like uh, Kieran Schock, who wrote, I'm mispronouncing his name, he used to write for Comics Alliance, he wrote a piece of The Guardian about this, and they brought up the Iron Man cover controversy, okay? And which was that cover oh, of Riri. Right, right, Riri. And, uh, and it said, you know, that Riri was hypersexualized. And I mean, have you ever seen the, the cover of like, you know, a rap magazine? I mean, have you ever actually been to a newsstand? If this is your, you know, I was looking, like I said, I'm working on this article and it's like, so I was looking for for some covers. I was on the bus, let me just finish. I was on the bus, okay, looking for some of these images. Like, oh, I think this girl next to me might be wondering why I'm looking at all these pictures of of (laughs) half-naked women of color. I mean, the image of Riri in a crop top she would be yeah. fine with okay so it's like it's just the his the hysteria yes. you know well, over spider woman's butt in the air well i mean i do think part of the riri thing is that she's supposed to be 15 absolutely but but kate of but course, it's still of but course it's when they the call it, it hyper sexualized i mean have you well, ever seen I mean, you know the, a, the have inability you ever watched to have a nuanced reaction yes that's even, yes. That even just disapproving which is fine uh, we seem to have lost that. Everything's got to be, um, you know, and fuego. The, the, yeah, the the the, we, the we torch can... and pitchfork or nothing. Well, I don't. Okay, I don't think we've lost anything. I think it's just the people who like torches and pitchforks 
well, have t- somewhere to be really, really loud. Yeah, and, well, yes. that's that's and part and of they drown, well. you know. And so, what catches your eye? The torches and pitchforks, instead of like the other people being like, "This is stupid. I don't like it." You know, I mean, it, it's not that the the normal responses don't exist on the internet anymore; they vanished into smoke. It's that you know, there's definitely a psychological reward circle going on for, for, <laughs> for uh, loud people who like to call yeah, for flaming image, image of Riri. Uh, what was that? A circle or reward circle? Or Re- yeah. So it's self-reinforcing, yeah. man. But what I meant is that, like, you know, I'm sure these people really are outraged. Of course. Absolutely. But, but with an audience yes. that hypes them up yes, and with friends yeah. who, you know, reinforce and the fact that suddenly they're, you know, get a lot of attention... I'm not saying they're doing it for the attention. I'm just saying the attention gets them hyped up. I I agree. Some of these apologies are mealy-mouthed. And, you know, I mean, Chaykin certainly hasn't apologized in any way. He doesn't get it. Guess what? He's not going to get no. it. He's not going to get it. Is Chaykin, no. He's how self-martyred. And he is. And uh, so, you know, go with God on that. But, uh, and, you know, listen, I, like the next day, a whole new controversy uh, or storm <laughs> Unless and you I mean, keep Kate, feeding it. Yes. And, you know, that that's it. That's kind of what we're doing here. But I'm just like, you know, people, if you're listening, come on, you know, get some kind of get some kind of like like scale of one to ten or something because you know what well you know real people are dying no real people are being lynched okay real people are being violated okay okay heidi i think we don't want to go to this children starving in africa place when it comes to comics controversy because you'll always find something worse than a comics controversy but that doesn't mean it's not worth talking about absolutely not but i'm also just saying it's like you know the amount of energy expended on some of this do we want to make a better more inclusive industry absolutely yes calling for eric steves to be fired over this is not the way to do it yeah in heidi's opinion yeah well I, i i sign on to that also um, Speaking uh, about clueless white men, yeah, <laughs> there. and and uh, yeah, what a transition! But it's true. Well, I mean, there is a new um, uh, adaptation, a live action adaptation of really the really the worldwide best selling phenomenon that is Death Note. Yes, <clears throat> um, a, a a really um, riveting. I mean, weirdly, it's a sort of supernatural crime thriller. Yes. Set in Tokyo, um, a young student finds uh, an odd book that's actually lost by a, a Japanese death demon. I forget what they call the names. And you can use this book to kill people. And, and he does. And he does. And then that builds into this amazing international plot to try to find, or rather, international scenario to try to find how this is happening and what's going on. Yeah, it's basically a serial killer story, only mm. the serial killing weapon is magical. Yes, right. it's, it's magic. And uh, so this is a hugely popular manga. Wasn't it also And a, it's a, a hugely popular anime as and well. And it's an anime yes. as well. And wasn't and it turned into a film as well in Japan? Yes. yes. And a stage play. Yeah. And yeah. a probably and a notebook. I have a notebook. A There's no, endless notebook. merch. Um, yeah, it's huge. It's an international it's phenomenon. You know, um, and it's hugely popular in the United States. Yes. Um, so Netflix is doing a live action uh, adaptation of it, and <laughs> and I think you probably know where I'm going here. Oh man, it's not, not going to be set in Japan in any way. Uh, there are not there are no Asian actors in 
No the Asian actors and paying major characters. I think they're, of any they're kind. setting it in Seattle or something. Yeah, because there are no Asians in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, for God's sake. Uh, so there's what one black does person. Does this sound like? Yeah, which I didn't even know. Um, so how is it that this is still happening? Yeah, I, what I don't understand is okay. So you want to set it in the United States. I don't know why you want to set it in the United States, but fine. But you'd think that given that it specifically is a Japanese mythological death demon, that you'd at least have, oh, I don't know, one of the main characters being of Japanese descent. Uh, like, you would, think. You, you would think they'd go that place, but they're like, no, tis America. America has no Asian people in it. Uh, wh- why? Why are you doing that? Oh, and also, um, a lot of fans who are already annoyed with that are annoyed at um, what they see up from the trailers of that it seems to be romanticizing the character of the killer a bit and, you know, making him more glamorous and, you know, sort of giving him a girlfriend. And it's it's sort of like, it's like a long do not want list. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, there's so many things they could have done. I mean, I could have even seen them setting it in an American city with an all Asian American cast. Why not? But now what we have instead is a director coming out and once again making excuses that really kind of insult your intelligence. I know he's saying that, well, of course, this is a complete adaptation where it's, this isn't the ghost in the shell scenario that it's still set in a, you know, in a future Tokyo. But, you know, they're, you know, all of the characters are, are, or the main characters anyway, are white. This is a, it's it's set, we're we're taking it completely out of that. But I don't understand this notion that Americans don't understand that there's a country called Japan. Well, I just don't understand. Populated by Japanese. I just don't understand why Hollywood thinks that moviegoers are just can't watch an Asian person in the lead of a movie. I mean, I it's just insane. It. I mean, it's absolutely... And then there's this reinforcing thing where they're like, oh, we can't cast any Asian people in main roles because no Asian people are that famous. But, like, well, yeah, because you never give them lead uh, yeah. roles. You know, yeah. listen, I am just touching on Wonder Woman for a minute. You know, Wonder Woman's been hugely successful here. Domestically, it's bigger than anything except Batman. The Batman movie's bigger than Superman. So mm-hmm. it's a huge hit here. You know, uh, around the world, in some territories, it hasn't done as well. And in others, it's doing really well. Right, and some is doing really well. But there seems to have been some resistance to the idea of Wonder Woman. In some territories, you know, maybe they're just not ready. They don't have Twitter. Mm. It actually does... <laughs> I, I'm not joking. It actually does seem to be places where social media is curtailed a little bit, like it isn't doing as well in China, mm. I think. And so, you know, maybe there's something to that. Um, but, but the you know, the point is, until you have, you know, see, this to me is super justified outcry. I mean, you know, because this oh, yeah. is the kind of thing about actual representation of, you know, in a positive way. I mean, it's like, you know, you, can, you can't, you can't stop a negative, you know, it's like you have to have a positive, you have to have positive images and positive portrayals and positive you know, representation, and it's just, it, it's baffling. You know, they just don't get it yet. Someday they will, I and hope. I, and just I, Twitter, get I, on this. I really Twitter, don't understand it. this notion that they think that Americans are somehow afraid of Japanese material. Yeah. When, when the manga, they're buying it and reading the thing from backwards to front. It's, yeah, it's making, <laughs> and it's making vast amounts of money. And so, I don't think anyone who reads manga is like, I think this was made in the United States. No, they know what, <laughs> it's a Jap from Japan. 
why is it that this is some barrier? It's not and, a barrier and, to anyone but Hollywood executives. And the funny thing is that if they really wanted to, instead of whitewashing the pre-existing story, they could have made, like, Death Note is inherently sequelable. Right. In that all you need, you already have this death demon, you already have this note that you can use to make death. You just give the death note to a different person, a totally different person living somewhere else. So it doesn't need to be some kind of weird, half-hearted whitewashing of the pre-existing character. You can just make like a, a Death Note live-action sequel set in America with different right. characters yeah. instead of like weird freaky versions of the originals. Hollywood, no more whitewashing. We're not going to let this go on. We're not going to like it. Uh, who knows? We, we can't control and, it as much with Netflix, but we'll have to see what happens. Well, with Netflix, it's harder to get at the numbers yeah. because Netflix, it's you know. It's impossible to get at the numbers. Yeah. Whereas um, with uh, movie numbers, we can definitely see the box office numbers and they always tank for this. Yeah. So yep, that's what that's makes it. this extra funny. Is, yeah, yeah, it is. Nothing Nothing that's been whitewashed has been a success. It's not so. a success, so why do they keep doing it? I don't yeah. know. Alright, moving okay. right along. Moving right along. Okay, con news. Con uh, news. Okay, well, uh, you know, just a couple notes that I have here. Uh, but, uh, you know, San Diego's looming and, uh, you know, it's been threatened. He threatened many times, but Chuck Rosansky has pulled Mile High Comics. So this was oh, one right, of the yeah. anchors mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the old town of comics in Halsey. Uh, yes. He had the whole wall uh, yes, with rows did. of back issues, and he just said, it's not worth the expense. It's not worth the money. I paid $16,000 for this last year, and uh, I'm done. And he pulled it, and it's wow. somebody gave up the space, and other people are there now. Wow. Um so, uh, you know, a lot of people have been like, so what? You know, nobody bought back issues there anyway. I mean, it really is just more of the uh, ball, the uh, gentrification of Old yeah. Town uh, in, in, in Comic-Con. But, um, you know, he threatened to do it, and he did it. So, um, but, oh, yeah. But the thing is that Mile High Comics, their business model, in fact, they were one of the first to take comic selling online. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if anybody's adapted to the changing market, it's them. So I don't feel too bad for mile high because where are people going when they aren't buying their back issues at cons they're buying it on the internet that's right that's right and um you know a lot of people thought that you know like i said who cares and uh but you know it just kind of points out that the audience that gets into comic-con is not a comic back issue buying but you know he's gonna go to the local denver comic-con uh which is local to him Mm -hmm. and he'll sell lots of comics so but i'm a oh but i mean like i will personally buy back issues in a comic store any day of the week but i like it takes up so much time that i could be doing other well, things at yeah. a con and you know that mile, i'd rather buy them somewhere else mile high's co- uh, comics were very uh high priced mm. that's another issue so okay. um a couple of other notes we have here uh you know there's a lot going on i i really should deliver a whole big state of the con uh, address here at some point but you know john macaluso who used to be the ceo at wizard world but was uh ousted in a stockholder move about a year ago, has launched his own line of comics called Fan uh, Comic Cons called yeah. Pandemic. It's going to be very big on um, uh, the Walking Dead guests. And uh, meanwhile, there is uh, the um, I've heard that the Sheamuses are also getting back into the game, and they oh, are dear. really big on the Marvel guests. Like they have all the Chris people. They have the Chris Evans and the Chris Hemsworth. And uh, Wizard, meanwhile, is 
kind of lacking in all these. They have like maybe Doctor Who or a couple of Doctor Whos. And I've heard they're really getting into comics again. Like they are giving away these icon awards at their show. So in Columbus, they're giving an award to Jeff Smith, who's going to be one of the top guests there. And Colleen Doran. So so there's a lot going on. It looks like, uh, you know, the market is morphing. The market. Well, the market is definitely there's a little con war going on here. Um, You know, there's also informal. The wizards love con wars. Yes, they do. They do love a lot of these people do love con wars. I'll say that. But, uh, you know, the top nerd liberties, there's not really enough to go around at this point. So uh, somebody's going to when that musical chairs ends. uh, Yeah, well, very select audience. Yeah. um, You know, also (laughs) just want to touch quickly um, on the ID Tenti Festival, which was held a couple weeks ago in uh, Mountain View, which is Google's hometown campus. And uh, this was a really interesting idea. I think I I might have mentioned it briefly, but it was kind of a three-way festival that had a music festival at night with uh, EDM and uh, acts like Weezer, uh, Crystal Castles. Then also had a comedy festival. Uh, Chris Hardwick is kind of the He's become the the guru now. Yeah, the name behind it. Yeah. And uh, then it was a Comic-Con kind of during the day. So they had Mm. cartoonists, they had musicians, they had comedians, all kind of as equal parts of the show. And uh, I heard it went pretty well. I mean, there's definitely some logistical ideas. And uh, what I was really afraid of was that the cartoonists would become third-class citizens. But everyone I talked to had a fantastic time and uh, kind of some nice cross-marketing there, Mm -hmm. I think. So there there are probably going to be more ID Tenti uh, fests next year. So, yep, a lot going on in cons. All right. Okay, uh, comic of the week. Comic of the week. So this week I get to pick co- comic of the week, and I pick one that I um, choose you, Pikachu. <laughs> I would never choose Pikachu. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I will fully admit that, um, unlike maybe some comic snobs, yes, I did come to it through the animation. Um, my book of the week is Hozuki's Cool Headedness, which is this. I can only call it like an arty afterlife workplace comedy. Basically, it's set in Japanese Buddhist hell. And the main character, Hozuki, is uh, the sort of jolly King Enma of hell's um, assistant-troubleshooter. And so, you know, they've got staffing problems in the different hells, and they have, you know, some remedial working worker training, and then they get visited by Satan, who is billed as the head of EU hell, which is kind of funny, um, who, of, of course, they think is, is completely inefficient and, and uh, a bit of a wuss. Um, and it's really very funny with a lot of um, callbacks to you know Japanese folklore or mythology which you don't have to know because there are like a million little humorous um, footnotes scattered throughout the comic explaining all the jokes Um, and it's really funny and part of what makes it great is that the backgrounds are very arty inspired by very serious Japanese Buddhist art of hell (laughs) and then meanwhile the characters in front are having like wacky shenanigans and making um, Studio Ghibli references uh, in that like everybody would really like a cat bus but they have to settle for you know the kind of transportation you actually get in hell um, and it's really very funny but part of what makes it interesting is that it's not out on paper it's from Kodansha hmm. it's on Comixology it's not from some tiny company um, but they have two volumes out in digital only release. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, and the anime's on high dive. Great. All right. 
Terrific. That was one of the points made out in uh, Deb Aoki's um, reasons for manga publishers to smile that uh, digital-only releases were really bringing in new readers. Yeah. So, um, right. as the time runs down, news briefs? News briefs. <clears throat> so, speaking of digital manga, Crunchyroll, long beloved for its wide selection of anime, but having a good but very small selection of manga, is fixing that problem toward the end of this month in that they are adding 400 titles from Seven Seas Manga, which will be available to subscribers of Crunchyroll. Cool. Um, we're, no word yet on what the titles are last I checked, but it should be interesting. Probably it'll be time to come out with San Diego Comic-Con. That would be my guess. Meanwhile, what's bringing you some of these choices of, of manga is Chris Butcher, long known as one of the the most prominent and, and well-known faces in comics retailing, um, the or was the manager of beloved Toronto graphic novel store, The Beguiling, which Calvin and Heidi went on about so eloquently <laughs> in a recent story. podcast, and uh, also the manager for Panel and Page, the sort of in-library graphic novel gift shop at yes. the Toronto Public Library. Yes. And so he is going to be an editor at large for Viz. For Viz. And um, I guess what he does is sniff out great properties and try to bring them home. Yes, and one of the interesting things about it, he's going to be scouting both uh, manga, you know, Japanese manga projects, and also original non-manga projects as well. And we should also mention that he is the founder, as well as the artistic director of TKF, the Toronto Comics Arts Festival. Uh, Chris, I see as a, a bit of a visionary, uh, as well as just a roll up the sleeves, get it done guy as well. Um, so this is an interesting direction in his career. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and a and, really smart move for Viz. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, he does seem to have a golden touch. And my guess would be someone who who was managing the beguiling will have a really good eye for yeah, good yeah, stuff absolutely. to bring out. I'm very interested yeah. to see what he finds. And it's an international festival. And, and, and it's Chris is jet-setting around the world and, and setting up relationships in, across many uh, borders that uh, really has makes the Toronto Comics Arts Festival the incredible uh, show, show place that it is for contemporary comics. So, so good luck to Chris and more to come from him. Yes. And uh, a comic near and dear to my and Calvin's heart. Uh, we got the first interview <laughs> with her, I tell you. Yes. Check, please. Has been signed by first second. Yes. For a two book book deal. Yeah, trade book edition. Of of Check Please. Uh, Check Please is the popular gay slice of life hockey webcomic. It's very fun. It's very cute. Check it out, people. And it uh, has had. I wouldn't say record-setting, but certainly eye-opening and astonishing success on Kickstarter yeah. for uh, a book that is somebody who doesn't have a past track record and that has no property on-ramp or anything. There's There were no pre-existing Check Please fans who were just slavering at the mouth to see it again. Like, this is a new thing, yeah. and it brought in a lot of money on Kickstarter. Yeah, she raised over $400,000 to publish two volumes of it. Uh, and I should have known at the no, TCAP... Four, four I said more was, than four hundred thousand no, dollars to publish the two volumes. Four hundred thousand was for just the for second, the one book. That's just for the and one. And the book. other was almost 70, as much. Seventy thousand was seventy thousand. Yeah, I think it was like it was less than eighty. Yeah. And I should have realized something was up because I saw her hanging out with Mark Siegel at the TCAF after party, 
And I said, you know what? Mm, I should have. So many yes. times you put but, two and two together. But uh, 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 the book's delightful. She's delightful. Um, uh, I think the, tr- the first um, uh, first second edition is coming out in 2018. Sounds good. Yep. Well, that's it. Uh, and there'll definitely be more to come. <laughs>